Thank you, Greg and Kate, for leading us in worship this morning. When we praise God, Scripture tells us that He inhabits the the praises of His people. And uh, those who help us uh, enter into worship help us enter into the presence of God, where we can be changed, right? Yeah, where we can be transformed. We're going to be talking a lot about that this morning. I, I may have mentioned that um, Mark is arriving back today from Kenya uh, with that, that crew that went to uh, Kenya on a medical mission. Mark was teaching Kenyan pastors all week, and, um, and uh, Trish Brown and, and some others went along to do the, the medical ministry. They treated hundreds, literally hundreds of Kenyans while they were there. And uh, it sounds like it was a very productive time. Uh, something that uh, we're going to be talking about parenting this morning, and uh, it, it's something that if, if you're not a parent at, at present, uh, don't be discouraged about that because it, it's something that um, you can use if you're a parent, whether a single parent, whether a, um, a, a married parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're an uncle or an aunt or anybody that has influence in the, in the life of a young person will be able to use what we're talking about this morning. I don't think we talked about parenting in uh, the nine years that we've been here at New Hope. So I thought it was about time to talk about parenting. It's something that's close to my heart as well. Jean and I have raised uh, three children. They're not children anymore. They're in their 30s and 40s, so they're older than many of you. But um, we still remember uh, those times. And now we're, we're, we're uh, having influence in the lives of four grandsons. So we're, uh, we're grateful to have that kind of an opportunity. Before we get started this morning, I'd just like to lift up in prayer one of the young couples. We have so many wonderful young couples at this church, but one of the young couples suffered a loss this past week. You may have heard that uh, Jim and uh, Jamie Andrews uh, lost their little girl, their 19-month-old daughter, Allison. She, um, overnight, Wednesday night to Thursday morning, she just, uh, she did not wake up. Her dad went in and uh, to get her out of the crib in the, in the morning, and, and she, was, she was gone. She was, uh, had died during the night. So obviously that's a huge, you may have seen her taking care of her in the children's ministry. She was uh, 19 months old, precious little blondie that was darting around between services, and, and uh, no apparent reason, but she just passed away in the night. And so obviously an, an overwhelming loss for, for Jim and for Jamie, for that family. So I'd just like to ask you to, to go in prayer with me now for that couple and then also uh, lift them up throughout the week, will you? It, it looks as if that funeral service will be uh, 11 o'clock Wednesday morning here at the church, visitation a couple hours before. I'll put out a mass email about that, but, but just so you, you know what, uh, what to plan on. Uh, let's, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, you, you've told us that that you are the God of all comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, that you comfort us in all of our affliction. You told us too, Lord, that you're the one who is near to uh, the, the crushed and that you rescue the, the brokenhearted. And, and so um, these parents this morning, Lord, are, are, are crushed and brokenhearted. They need your comfort and, and your reassurance. Uh, and, and Lord, I, I praise you for their, their testimony. And um, we know that uh, things happen in this world that, uh, that uh, we can't account for. And we don't pretend to know the answers to. But we know that 
you're still on the throne, that you love us very much, and that you're still taking care of us. And so I, I pray that you come around this couple uh, today and in this week, that you'd, uh, that you'd comfort them and encourage them, strengthen them for what they have to go through. As, as they walk through this grieving process with you, I, I pray that, that you'll, be, uh, you'll surround them with your presence in a way that they haven't felt before. And, and that you'll confirm in, in their hearts that uh, your love for them and your care for them. We thank you that, the, that this little one is in the arms of her Savior. And we praise you for that. That we will see her again. We ask all these things in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I often say, uh, and I'm, I'm not here, by the way, because uh, I was a perfect parent, because like many of you, uh, there are many times when I wished I could hit the do-over button and, uh, and correct something I, I had done. Now, now, Jean, on the other hand, was a perfect parent. <laughs> she compensated for me and has put up with me all, all these years. Nobody teaches us how to be parents. I often say this to couples when I'm doing marriage counseling or premarital counseling, that nobody teaches us how to be married. If we're fortunate, we have good role models. And, um, and we learn from them, um, solid moms and dads who, who raise us in loving and nurturing homes. But I find that more and more that that's not the case, that many of the individuals and couples I, I talk with, uh, one or more parents was, was not there, or, or, or was um, an alcoholic or abusive or distant for some reason and it was not the kind of influence they should have been. So, so many of us grow up, grow up without those kinds of role models. But even well-meaning parents can be oblivious as to what we're trying to accomplish uh, with our kids. What is the end goal? Uh, what does God tell us in, in his word that we're supposed to be about as, as parents? Many of us, uh, as I said, wish we could hit the, the do-over button on different chapters in our our parenting. The good news is that, that uh, God's Word has a lot to say uh, about how we parent and why we parent. What God is trying to accomplish through us as His agents of transformation in, in that parenting relationship. So what's a parent's calling and, and job description? What, what is it we're trying to accomplish? Well, let me suggest some things. Uh, first of all, uh, let me just bounce these off you and, and see if you think these are reasonable goals. First of all, protecting and caring for our kids in a loving and nurturing family. That seems reasonable, doesn't it? Uh, how about uh, helping them to be successful in academics and sports and social relationships? Nothing wrong with that one, right? Teaching them what they need to grow up to be self-sufficient and successful in life. Seems like a worthy goal, doesn't it? Uh, how about this one? Teaching them values and morals so they'll grow up to be good people. Seems like uh, you'd have a hard time arguing with that. All those things are, are worthy goals, and yet let me suggest to you that, that none of them will change the eternal destiny of our children. Not one of them. None of them will change the eternal trajectory of our kids. None of them will change their standing before God. Moses had an answer the most important things that we should be doing uh, as parents. And uh, by way of background, he was, uh, helping, the, he was helping to coach the, uh, the children of Israel, the Israelites, 
uh, just before they were to enter the promised land. This was his, kind of his final speech to them about uh, the people that they needed to be if they were going to continue to experience God's favor. And I want to read a section to you out of, out of Deuteronomy 6. <clears throat> and uh, that's on page 341. Well, I'm just kidding. That won't help you. I've got a different Bible than you do. But I, I think it's on 174 in the Pew Bible, actually, if, if you're looking on in the Pew Bible. But Deuteronomy 6, uh, Moses actually speaks to parenting. And this is what he tells the children of Israel about how they should parent their children as they enter the promised land in order to experience God's favor. And so uh, beginning at verse 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. Uh, listen all the times they're supposed to talk of, of God's, God's things. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Sh they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In our day, we might say, uh, you need to make a refrigerator magnet out of them and, and so that you see them all the time. Put them on your mirror and so on. And now down to verse 20. He talks specifically about what to say to our kids, what, what they should have said to their kids as they enter the promised land. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Uh, look at him uh, explaining what they should explain to their children as to who God was and what their relationship with, with him was. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So what Moses was saying in our terms uh, is to love God intensely, talk about him to your children all the time, and then also teach your, chil your children diligently about these things, about who God is, what he's done for us, why we love him, who we are in relationship to God, and, and what he requires of us. In, uh, in Paul Tripp's word, by the way, this is one of the resources that I'll be drawing from for this message, Paul Tripp, the, the book Parenting, he puts it this way. You, you could argue that the chief reason God put parents in children's lives is so that they would know him. The most important thing that a child could ever learn about is the existence, character, and plan of God. If you know this, it will alter the way you understand and interpret every other fact in your life. I, I recently had a conversation with a a mom of uh, four children. She said that she had, she said, Gary, I, I didn't know Christ as a, as a child. Um, I, I only came to know him later in life. And, and so 
Um, I'm just, uh, I marvel. I'm encouraged when I hear my kids talk about God as if he is a normal part of their everyday life. She says, that, that was not my experience, but it, it, is, it is my kids' experience now. She spoke to me previously about her aspirations, the, the things she would have accomplished in various careers that, uh, that she would, wanted, to, wanted to engage in, uh, but couldn't because uh, she had these four children. And, uh, and I said, you know, uh, you've chosen the highest thing. You've chosen what's most important, the, the high calling. You changed the whole trajectory for eternity of four human beings and probably generations of human beings after that. So I said, what could you possibly have done that would have been more important than that? What else could you accomplish in life that would have been a higher calling than that? You see, if we're, if we're parents, <clears throat> we have a high calling from God to assist him in the discipling of our children. We've been called uh, by God to collaborate with him in helping our children to understand the condition of their own hearts and then to receive the forgiveness and new life that's available to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, let me share with you a, a, a passage out of Matthew 28. Jesus uh, gives us our marching orders and we usually apply that to missions work, uh, which it is applicable there. But, but I, I think our first mission, our first ministry is to our own family. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus is telling us is that, first of all, we have his power and his authority for, for parenting. And, and then we're, we're supposed to make disciples of our kids. We're supposed to lead our kids to faith in Jesus Christ as part of our parenting responsibility. We're to baptize them. We're to teach them how to live as followers of Jesus Christ in this world. And then finally Jesus says, you don't have to do this on your own. This isn't a do-it-yourself project. He says, I'm going to empower you. I, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone until the end of the age as we go about that work. Again, Paul Tripp puts it this way, it's vital to understand that God has called you to something deeper than to manage, guide, and control your child's behavior. God has called you to be a, an agent of his rescuing, forgiving, transforming, and delivering grace. You cannot allow yourself to settle for less. Question, is there really anything more important than helping our children come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and learn to live out a life empowered to accomplish God's purposes for them. I, I don't think so. And yet there are so many things that distract us from that in this world. As a young man, I can recall that my career was a major distraction. You know, we're all filled with that striving to accomplish things in our career. And I, many of you know that I was a state trooper in my first career and uh, spent 26 years at that. I retired in 2000. But in the early history of our our marriage, I was away from home. For the first 10 years I was in the state police, I was away from home two and a half years out of that time in different uh, promotions and transfers and training and, and whatnot. I was usually home on the weekends, but um, uh, during that time my wife had, uh, Jean had two toddlers that she was, that she was caring for. And uh, she, she's often, we, we joke about that, but she's often uh, threatened uh, to, to rent a whole bunch of toddlers and, and 
and let me, stay, let me care for them while she goes off and does something fun. So, so some of you young moms that need a break, there may be an income opportunity here for you. I don't know, you can, you can talk to my wife about that. My, my point is that we have to be careful in, in all our pursuits, whether it's our career, whether it's a, a hobbies, sports, our golf game, our hunting, uh, our television shows, uh, whether we're uh, the mom or the dad, we have to be careful uh, that we carve out time for our kids and we're not preoccupied by all these distractions so that we miss the, the most important thing. What could possibly occupy our time and attention that would be more important than, than investing in that way in, in our kids? If we're going to be uh, parents, godly parents, uh, on mission for what God calls us to do, we're going to have to understand a little bit about what it means to be lost and what it means to have a new heart theologically. You know, everybody's after a, a, an elusive formula as to how to be a great parent. And they're looking for some checklist or some formula that they can apply uh, that will guarantee um, that they turn out perfect children. I used to believe that if you applied just the right formula, when my kids were little, it was easier to believe this. But if you apply just the right formula, you, you, um, you take them to church, or you read them Bible stories, you, you um, send them to Christian schools even, uh, you did all those things that results were guaranteed. I, I, I don't think that's the case. Proverbs 22, 6 tells us, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. That is not, that is not a formula. Uh, that is a, a general principle in Proverbs, just as many of the Proverbs are general principles about how life works. But it's not a, a guarantee. Sometimes parents, because we don't know what else to do, we... Uh, we default to some what I call parental power tools. We'll use, uh, we'll use fear and intimidation, physical intimidation or, or punishment to try to, to, try to uh, intimidate our kids to change behavior. Or, or we'll use reward. You know, you stop antagonizing your sister, I'll get you that little remote-controlled truck that you, you wanted so much. Or, or, or worse yet, we'll use, uh, we use guilt and, and shame. Come on now, cut that out. Little boys don't cry. Or, I can't believe you did that. What's wrong with you? Or something even more humiliating and, and demeaning uh, that, uh, that a parent will use with, with a child. Uh, those things may stop, behavior in the, may stop a, a misbehavior in the short term, but long term, they'll damage the relationship that we have with our children. They'll even warp our children's ability, perhaps, because of poor modeling. They'll warp our children's ability to parent well themselves. And, and then they'll also uh, warp the image that our children have of who God is because our children uh, decide who God is uh, based on the, the modeling that we see. And, and so it's, it's tremendously important, the, the model that we, we portray to our, our kids. You know, while all those strategies may produce a temporary change in behavior, they, they cause more problems in many cases than they, than they solve. Well, what does it mean to be lost from a a theological perspective. How does God rescue us from that lostness? We need to understand that if we're going to rescue our kids from their lostness. Jesus described his rescue mission very simply in Luke 19.10. He said that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And uh, Jesus made that statement on the tail end of an encounter with somebody named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was kind of a, he was a corrupt tax collector at the time. He victimized his own people. When Jesus encountered him, said Zacchaeus, I, 
I, I need to be at your house today. Uh, Zacchaeus' life was changed through that encounter. His, his heart was changed. His behavior toward other people was, cha was changed. He made restitution. He was a different person after that encounter with Jesus Christ. But he had two heart characteristics, like all lost people. He had two heart characteristics before he met Christ. One was a, a lack of a God consciousness or, or, or a lack of understanding of our need to submit to God's authority. And, and also, uh, lost people who, who are, uh, have not yet encountered Christ do not have the capability to live and behave in a way that pleases God. We know that from Scripture. Uh, Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the prophet Jeremiah tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You see, the, the root problem with our kids' behavior and attitudes is the same as the root problem with, with our attitudes and behaviors prior to the time we came to Christ. And that is the condition of our hearts. That's one thing that those, those power tools can't touch. King David acknowledged that reality for himself in, in Psalm 51.5 when he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, this is the heart problem of, of every human being who comes into the world, including our kids. We, we not only commit individual sins, but we have an inherent propensity to sin that we cannot escape. We, we can't break out of that by our, our own effort. And, and the solution is is a holy heart transplant, a, a new heart. And, and the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament um, foretold of that, foretold what would happen through Christ. He says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he, he's going to give us a heart that is responsive to God, that enables us to please God in the, in the way that we live. And the Apostle Paul in the New Testament pointed ahead to the same transformation. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, how do we get this new heart anyway that will make us new creations? Uh, well, we get it through God's grace. Two words, God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, this is, a, this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we access grace, that is God's saving power, through our faith in Jesus Christ as a free gift. And, and we need a basic understanding of how the law and grace interact, if we're going to be able to apply that to our parenting. So, what, so what's the law and its role in bringing us to faith? For, for our purposes today, I'm going to suggest that the the law is anything God tells us in Scripture to do or, or not to do. Uh, that's what the law is. That's God's, God's reality, God's standard. For example, in the, the Ten Commandments tell us, uh, put no other gods before me. In other words, don't have any idols uh, before me. Honor your parents. Uh, there are prohibition, prohibitions against uh, murder, against lying, against stealing, against adultery, against uh, coveting your neighbor's wife, for example. In the New Testament, Jesus tells us, Bless those who curse you. He says, pray for those who persecute you. Go the extra mile. If someone demands that you go a mile, go the extra mile with him. So Jesus had some things that, that, he, uh, uh, that, that he commanded us to do. And then in Colossians, the Apostle Paul, as one example, warns against anger and malice and sexual immorality and slander and lying. And, and he encourages us to, to stop 
certain behaviors at, as we have power from God, grace from God to do that. Stop certain behaviors and, and begin certain new practices that, that emulate those of Christ. Uh, so God, uh, Paul says that God provided the law for us as, as, as kind of a yardstick so that we could hold up our behavior against the law and see just how far we fall short of being able to please God and, and that way be motivated to cry out to, to Christ in, in faith for him to, to rescue us. Paul says the, the law has become our teacher. In Galatians 3, 24 and 25, he says, that, therefore the law became our, our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. But now that the law has come, we're no longer a tutor. As a tutor, the law is important to us because it helps us to understand we can't save ourselves by being good enough. I continually meet people who say, uh, uh, you, you know, if God grades on the curve, I'm okay. I, I, uh, I'm pretty nice to people. Uh, I, don't, I don't do any bad things to people. I've never been on Crime Stoppers. So if all that is true, I, I, you know, I think I'm going to come, come out okay. And I, I say, thanks for playing. That's not what the Bible says. We can't, we can't please God. We can't rise to his standard of perfection on our, on our own, in our own effort. Well, what is grace then? If it takes grace, then what is grace about? You know, we tend to think of grace as something nebulous, hard to define. Well, Scripture is clear about what, what grace is. Most people see grace as the catechism definition is, definition is unmerited favor. That is the free gift from God of salvation that we just read about in, in Ephesians 2. And, and that's true enough. Uh, but God's grace is also, this is the part we often miss, God's grace is also the daily empowerment uh, that comes to us from God that allows us to live out the life of Christ in this world, that allows us to be distinctive kinds of people in this world. It changes our behavior and it transforms us over time. Not all at once many times, but over time, incrementally, as we allow the Holy Spirit to access our lives, uh, God changes us. Listen carefully to this verse out of Titus. This explains it all. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. That's the first part, right? That's what grace accomplishes at the first. Bringing salvation to all people and then training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It, it helps us to shed those old patterns of sin and those old attitudes uh, that are non-productive non and that are sinful. It helps us to shed those things. That's what God's grace does. And, and to live, this is the other half, this is the other shoe, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, it, it helps us to live a different kind of a life. God's grace empowers us for that. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, there's a salvation, buying us back again, from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people. That's the holiness aspect again. He's making us holy like he's holy. For his own possession who are zealous for good works. So, so look at that. We go from, God's grace enables us to go from people who, um, who practice ungodliness and worldly passions to people who are zealous for good works and a, and a holy people. That's quite a transition, isn't it? That can't happen on a human level. It's not a, it's not a do-it-yourself project. Uh, it is by the grace of God. He saves us and empowers us to live a life increasingly holy, increasingly in the image and character of Jesus Christ. That's what, Paul, that's what the Apostle Paul referred to in Galatians 2.20 uh, when, he, when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
In other words, we have the opportunity to ask Christ to live out his character through us in every area of our lives, in our workplace, home, marriage, especially in our role as parents. <clears throat> what does that look like? <clears throat> when you have someone in your life who's hard for you to love, <clears throat> a difficult person, uh, you can ask God, you can say, God, I confess to you. I can't love this person in my own effort, in my own strength. <clears throat> I need your power to do that. God will, God will live out through you the character of Jesus Christ. And he'll empower you in that way through his grace <clears throat> to live a different kind of a life. Another example, if, if, uh, if you have an angry attitude in your family, if, if you respond with, uh, <clears throat> with anger toward your family members, we can confess that to God. Ask him to live out the patience and the humility and the compassion, the mercy of Christ in our relationships with them. See, in every situation where we fall short, the answer is we need more of Jesus. And, and God will give us that if we ask him for that. We confess our shortcoming. We ask God for his grace. He gives us more of his son. And that's the secret of spiritual transformation. That's the project that God has for us from the moment we come to faith is, is transforming us into the image of his son over time. Paul describes that process uh, using the metaphor of changing clothes in Colossians 3. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. In other words, you shed, you're shedding that skin. <coughs> Excuse me. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You get that? It's being renewed in knowledge, that God is downloading to you a different set of attitudes and behaviors than what you had before. He's changing you, who you are as a person. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, <clears throat> forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, shedding our old habits and attitudes and practices and, and putting on those new attitudes and practices and, and behaviors, is, is, it's not a do-it-yourself project. It's not something we can accomplish on a human level. It, uh, it requires the grace of God in our lives. It occurs over time <clears throat> through daily empowerment of God's grace as we confess, ask for forgiveness, and, and ask for grace, and, and we're renewed in our minds. We're made different people over time. Paul talks about the same thing in Romans 12, too, where he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Again, by the renewing of your mind, right? We engage with God in Scripture and in prayer, in fellowship with God's people. We become different kinds of people over time. That's the way it works. Some, uh, some parents uh, get stuck in control mode. I mentioned before those power tools, and, and we, think, we think we're going to make a permanent difference in our child's life by uh, controlling behavior, but it, it's never enough. You know, when I was a, a young trooper in, in uh, Bright, uh, excuse me, in Niles, uh, Niles was kind of a small town, much smaller than Lansing, and uh, we had parades frequently, and uh, a parade in, in Niles probably didn't look much like a, much like a parade in 
one of the bigger cities. It certainly didn't look like the Macy's parade. But it was usually a, a collection of, uh, well, every vehicle with a red light and a siren for a 25-mile radius would be in the parade. And then, uh, for some reason, <clears throat> large farm implements would be in the parade. I never figured that out. And then there would be uh, high school bands. You know, there would be a couple of floats maybe on the back of uh, farm trailers. And, and then there would be uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, high school bands. And finally, the Sheriff's Department a, a posse would come up, and they, they would usually bring up the rear. That was a parade in, uh, in Niles. And one particular Memorial Day, I was assigned to lead the parade. So um, I got my car washed, and, and, and I was just a little late. Uh, rolling up to the parade route, and so it had just started to move up US 12 in, in Niles, and there was a city car and a township car, and then I was supposed to take the lead as kind of a uh, flying wedge or something. So, so I, I got up in front and, and uh, just cruising real slow down, the, waving at the kids, you know, flicking my siren on and off, overhead light going, and, uh, and I radioed back to the city car, and I said to the city cop, hey, listen, uh, I don't know the parade route, so let me know where the turn is. And, and he said, okay, I'll tell you where to go. So uh, we, we motor on down the, the road, still looking good, waving at the kids, flipping the siren on and off. And I come up to the intersection with uh, US 12 and US 33 there, look up in my, in my mirror, and the entire parade has turned left behind me. <laughs> That's funny now. Ever being the resourceful trooper, of course, I, I um, picked up my radio mic as if I was receiving a call and, and then uh, flicked on my siren and got out of there fast so people would think I was going on some emergency. <laughs> my point with that is that if you, look in, if you look behind you and no one is following, that means you're no longer leading. Leaders have followers. If no one's following you, you're, you're no longer leading. Many well-meaning parents who have seats at the dining room table, they have the mom and dad seats, perhaps, at the dining room table. They, th they think that they're leading, but they don't know where they're going or how to get there. And they choose to use those methods of controlling behavior. Uh, but at some point in time, uh, their kids will say, you can't control me anymore. I don't have to listen to what you say. And you'll look over your shoulder, and they won't be there anymore. And, and I think uh, that's why research indicates that as many as 70% of the kids who grow up in church will leave church at, after graduating from high school. Now, about two-thirds of those come back eventually. Uh, but the question is, why does that happen? Could it be that we're focused uh, too much on controlling behavior and, and not enough on changing hearts, you see? But isn't controlling children's behavior important? Well, well of course it is. Uh, otherwise, you have three-year-olds run into traffic, right? Busy streets. You have eight-year-old boys try to take flight off the garage roof. You have 17-year-old girls that decide they're going to stay out all night with their boyfriend and all the other unsafe and unwise things that, uh, that our kids will choose to do without wisdom and, and direction. Uh, Proverbs 22.15 tells us, foolishness is bound up in the hearts of a child. Our, our children, all of us, in fact, are born foolish. Part of our job is to impart wisdom to them. So we, we need to put in place 
household rules and structure and curfews and consequences for misbehavior. We need to say no sometimes when our kids uh, do something, uh, propose to do something that's unsafe or, or unwise. What we need to understand about rules and control, however, as parents, is that uh, although they may temporarily change behavior, they can never change our children's hearts. They can never remove the sins of self-centeredness or rebellion against our authority or their desire to be their own gods, like many of us. That's where grace comes in. The supernatural power of God that, that, that we can bring to the game is, as godly parents is what will change hearts. So how do we parent with grace? Well, first of all, if they're to believe in the power of God's grace, they have to see it modeled in, in our lives, don't they? It, uh, again, Tripp says, if God's plan really is to make his invisible grace visible by sending parents of grace to give grace to children who desperately need grace, then I'm called not just to preach that grace, but to live and model it for my children every day. You see, in order to be parents of grace, parents with grace, we have to be receivers of God's grace daily, asking him for, for his empowerment to overcome our own selfishness and, and our own impatience and our own anger and our own fatigue sometimes from the strain of parenting. Be deliberate about growing in your own life with God in the word and in prayer, in fellowship with God's people, maturing in your walk with God so you can be that kind of a role model who can minister grace. Parenting with grace is not a do-it-yourself project. It's not possible to do what we're talking about on a human level without God's help. Model God's mercy and compassion and, and love in every interaction with our kids, uh, even when we're irritated. Uh, Tripp says, here's what mercy means for your parenting. Mercy means that every action, reaction, and response toward your children is tempered and shaped by tenderness, understanding, compassion, and love. Parenting is a lifelong mission of humbly, joyfully, and willingly giving mercy. You see, if we model, our, if we model mercy and compassion, our children will form their image of, of who God is from the model that we show them. It's a lot easier, isn't it, just to, to bark orders and to stop behavior and to give direction uh, in a controlling way, in an intimidating way. It's easier to use one of those power tools. But God says no. He, he says in, in, if you show mercy, if you model mercy, um, like in Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You see, God in his grace has chosen us as unfinished people to parent other unfinished people even as he's parenting us while we're parenting them so ask him to help you model mercy and grace to your kids and then use the word of God to communicate truth and and wisdom and to shape their worldview that's your real power tool your job is to be God's tool for the purpose of forming the image of God's son in your children for that job the Bible is the primary tool your goal is not that, not only that your children would stay inside God's boundaries, but also that they would think about all of life from the perspective of God's word. In the Bible, your children learn who God is, who they are, and what the meaning and purpose of life is. That's good, isn't it? I found that uh, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, was, was helpful to me as a parent in understanding my role and helping my kids understand that role. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, 
and then it cites the, the, that, that particular commandment from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Uh, it's interesting to me that he mentions fathers here in particular. I think it's because sometimes guys were so uh, action-oriented, we just want somebody to do it when we tell them to do it the first time, right? And, and so sometimes we'll use our size and, and our anger and our intimidation to accomplish things that we should be doing another way. Sometimes we can push our kids' buttons. Sometimes we can bully them and discourage them in that way. And he's, he's saying, don't do that. Do this instead. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I would have conversations with my kids from time to time about my responsibility to protect and discipline and instruct and, and I'd, I'd have to say, listen, uh, I have a responsibility. I'm going to stand before God and account for how I raised you, account for the things that I allowed you to do. And, and so um, these are things that are outside that, that I can't, I can't allow you to do that because I, I don't think I can, I can uh, account for that before, before God. Uh, and another example is the Colossians 3, 3 passage that we read where Paul talks about compassion and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and patience and bearing with one another and, and putting love over everything else. Uh, you, you know, we can ask our kids, is that what our family looks like? That, that's what we desire to look like. That's what God has said we should look like. Is that who we look like? You see, uh, we can infuse truth into the discussion, uh, God's truth into the discussion about who we are and 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 who we desire God to help us become. And then treat every interaction as an opportunity to share the grace that God has, has parented you with. Does this sound like it takes a lot of time? Yeah, it really does. It, it's easier to do it another way, but it doesn't change hearts. Tripp says, seldom is change the result of a dramatic moment. So you have partial conversations and unfinished moments. But in each moment, you're imparting wisdom to your child. Each moment, you're exposing your child's heart. Each moment, you're building your child's self-awareness. Each moment, you're enlivening your child's conscience. Each moment, you're giving your child great God-awareness. Each moment, you're constructing a biblical worldview for your child. And each moment, you're giving the Spirit of God an opportunity to do in your child the things that you cannot do. We found that, uh, Gene and I found that many times the uh, Bible stories around the dinner table and later scripture around the dinner table uh, where we talked about and by the way I think the dinner table is important it's important to have a time where you all come together shut everything else off and, and talk to each other eyeball to eyeball but, but in certain, uh, infusing that time with God's truth uh, asking questions even of little ones about, about well what does that mean for us uh, is there anything that we should change about what we do as a result of what we see in that story or what can we learn about God from that story? Uh, those kinds of questions uh, uh, in, in leading your, your kids to understand who, who God is and, and what he wants in, in our lives. I have a, we have a 13-year-old grandson named Ethan. And there are, uh, we have a place up north where the ropes swing out back. And one of the, one of the occasions, one of those interactions that we've had uh, between he and I is, is that... Uh, uh, we'll go out on the rope swing. He wants me to push him on the rope swing. And uh, years ago, I started uh, <clears throat> telling him various Bible stories. Now he's 13 years old. He's, he's too big for the rope swing. But he still says, uh, Grandpa, uh, can we go out, on the back, out back on the rope swing and you can push me and we can talk about Bible stuff. We've had some of the most amazing spiritual conversations uh, 
on the rope swing out in back of the, the cottage. Understand that parenting is a process, not an event. We're on the home stretch here, folks. Be patiently committed to process. You, you have to work to remind yourself that the mission of mercy you've been sent on by God is, is seldom an event. It's not a one-time thing. It's almost always an extended process. God has called you to a process of many, many moments of insight that lead to many, many moments of change. You know, justification in our walk with God, justification is that moment when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we're forgiven for everything we've ever done and we ever will do once and for all time. That's instantaneous. But the process of spiritual transformation is a lifelong process that God's at work in us and in our kids. Part of, part of making that happen is just faithfulness and being there. Cultivating relationships with our kids takes time. It's a function of time. You can't have a relationship without investing time. And we're responsible to God, folks. We're responsible to God um, for the process. Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing as parents, but not for the results? Only God can change hearts. Only he can transform lives. We need to pray and, and leave those results with him. You know, earlier this week, I sent out an email, and I asked you for parenting wisdom. And many of you are most gracious. And you sent us back some wonderful uh, pearls of wisdom about parenting. And those are all compiled in that little resource you have in the, in the program. <clears throat> One of those that I thought was in particular on point was from Monica Chester. So I'm going to embarrass her. She's right up here. She's trying to slink down in her seat. But I, I said, Monica, th this, this was so much, it was, it was so right on point for what we're talking about that I just want to draw your attention to it. She says this. <clears throat> Raising five children sure has taught me a lot, especially humility. Teach them at a very early age how to, how to cultivate a personal relationship with Jesus. Give them the opportunity to have their own tangible, intimate relationship with him by pointing out God experiences all the time. Praying with them and showing them how God answers. Encourage them to trust him. Have them memorize scripture. Then show them these things in your own life. How important is that? Point out where God is working. Pray, trust, show humility. Apologize to them when you need to. Thank you, Monica. God, godly wisdom. It, it, it's wonderful. Thank you for all of you that uh, submitted those. I think those should be a great encouragement to people. Uh, let me talk to the, the few of you who are here who, who may be discouraged about the past. You say, so many guys say to me in particular, I wish I'd known this stuff 30 or 40 years ago. I could have been a better dad. I understand that, but I, I want to tell you uh, the same thing I told a man who was in his mid-50s the other, the other day uh, who, who got out of rehab. He's clean and sober. Uh, he's reunited with his wife, and he wants to be uh, a spiritual leader for his four sons. He never has been. He wants to be now, so, so I'm helping him do that, um, but, but I told him, you know, it's never too late for God. He always has enough time. Push your regrets aside. Become the parent that God is calling you to be. Leave a legacy that will last for eternity. I was privileged to serve at Lena Jean Brooks Memorial Service a few weeks ago. She was 94 years old, a great woman of God, had a wonderful family. I learned about her that, that she was the only believer among her 11 siblings. 
She and her husband, Don, were, were believers. That they raised godly kids. They did what we're talking about here today. And as I looked out over the crowd, it was a packed house. I looked out over the crowd. I saw generations of Christians that had come from, from those two people because they chose uh, to become followers of Jesus Christ and to teach their kids to become followers of Jesus Christ. One of the granddaughters got up and said, my grandma left a spiritual legacy for generations and, and now we have to carry it on. And I thought about not just the people in that room, but the generations of people whose whole eternal trajectory will be changed because of Lena Jean Brooks and her husband, Don. That's the same opportunity that you and I have as, as parents. If you're a parent, there's no higher calling than being appointed by God to be his instruments of transformation and grace in the lives of our kids. Let's pray and ask him for his grace and empowerment to be faithful to that high calling. Dear Father, we thank you. Those of us who are our parents or aunts and uncles or grandparents, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to have an influence in the lives of those people you you you've put into our network of relationships. Uh, Lord, we'd ask you to, we, we know this is not a do-it-yourself project. We, we can't be good at this. We can't do what you've called us to do on a human level without your Holy Spirit's power. And so we pray for that grace uh, to model who you are well, uh, full of mercy and compassion and, uh, and wisdom. And, and we'd ask that you empower us to, to impart those things to, to our kids. And in the process, Lord, do what only you can do to change their hearts uh, as, as we grow up together uh, so that they're, uh, they're, they're godly and, uh, and faithful to what you've called them to do in, in a time beyond what we can see right now. And, and we ask all this in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for your time together, folks. It's good to be with you.